The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, very little changed about these two series. We thought the zigzag principle, the ostensible favorites going down 1-0. At least one of them might win tonight, right? But that was not the case. Cleveland 128, Toronto 110, a blowout for the Cavaliers. And on the other series, Boston 108, Philly 103, a little bit closer of a game. But I think we have to start with Cleveland and Toronto. And I think that there are many, many places and things to discuss in this game. But the one that sticks out the most to me is that this is the best shooting game that i can ever remember lebron james having even better than his 45 points in game six of the 2012 eastern conference finals i think he hit seven fadeaway jump shots in the second half all of them just completely ridiculous shots six of them over his right shoulder he hit a three that was really contested and by the time it was over lebron james was just toying with the toronto rep he was absolutely incredible lebron was 19 of 28 from the field and almost exactly half of those shots were from mid-range he had 12 shots in in the restricted area made nine of those 12 which is a very strong number was one for three from three and then he had 13 mid-rangers and made nine of those and i believe it was yeah seven or something thereabouts in the third quarter he was absolutely incredible and something else that has held true largely in the playoffs but it was even more striking to me in this game maybe than any of the other ones was also he was very effective as a passer especially early and both he and the Cavs never turned the ball over three turnovers I think that tied the modern record for fewest turnovers in a playoff game LeBron also had 14 assists tying a playoff career high there 14 of the Cavs 25 assists and so usually when a guy is going into mid-range jump shot mode he's not really creating for others but that certainly was not the case and then the other thing that I that I think was even more of a killer although it wasn't as good of a performance but even more of a killer for Toronto was that Kevin Love finally got going series he did and we were talking early because they were getting love involved on you know in Val- on valentunas and in many ways more importantly when there were smaller defenders on love and early on i think i think he had nine shots or 10 shots in the first quarter and we're like oh i wonder how that's gonna go he ended up with 21 shots from the field and an important seven free throws he made all seven of those free throws and what frustrated me and this is going to be a story we will come back to a couple different times during this section on this game what frustrated me the most about toronto's approach is that kevin love still doesn't quite look like himself offensively mostly related to the the partially torn ligament in his left thumb but if you strip everything away from kevin love one of the best things he will be able to do you know until he's 40 years old whether it's in the nba or in a some sort of retired players league is attack smaller players on 
on post-ups either to get shots for himself or find find cutters through passes and that is basically what after the first quarter Toronto challenged him to do and Kevin Love succeeded because he is great at that yeah and really I think that they we started to see it come back just a little bit in the fourth quarter of game seven against Indiana where I thought he had some of the biggest buckets he did not play well obviously in game one Cleveland won that one anyway but then with him starting at the five and Ty Lue there were calls to start Tristan Thompson Valanciunas was killing love in the first game and I think we were surprised that he stuck with love at center he did so and that worked extremely well because not only did love score 31 points but he also drew Valanciunas away from the rim Cleveland had a number of just unstoppable sets with a a small shooter screening love out of the corner with LeBron you know they they run that all the time uh they had plenty of plays where they're screening for shooters on the weak side and because love is a shooter as well you know Valanciunas couldn't help out there Serge Ibaka for Toronto was just completely invisible in this game the hope was that maybe you could go with him at the five and you might be able to stop Cleveland if Valanciunas couldn't guard and clearly for Toronto and they started scoring again they just had a very very brief drought at the start of the third quarter Toronto scored 124 points per 100 possessions in this game it was a very slow game and Cleveland had a 141 offensive rating and this is part of why I picked Cleveland in this series was I didn't think Toronto could stop them and if it got into a shootout I thought that Cleveland had more ammo and I thought Dwayne Casey really compounded the problem you know as Cleveland Toronto had had a decent lead most of the first again Toronto gave that up the Cleveland's within two they score the first eight points to go up six and then Dwayne Casey just completely lost his mind with his lineup the most significant part of that lineup trouble came in the form of OG Ananobi the Raptors you know they discovered plutonium by accident by drafting a player in the 20s OG Ananobi should not have fallen that far but he did who has done a very good job on LeBron James a better I mean what is the list of players in the NBA right now who could do a better job on LeBron James one-on-one like is there five players on that list right now like you know Kawhi it's it's probably about Andre, how as many Wadala, as it is maybe if you wanted to put Draymond on him full-time uh I don't think there's another player in the Eastern Conference that could do this as well as he has done it his combination of strength length quick feet uh motor uh yeah I mean he's probably the number one guy in the Eastern Conference maybe I'm forgetting someone but I don't think so that I would want to guard LeBron James and yet because okay he made a bad decision he kind of pump faked on a three and then took it anyway and then he tried tried to drive along the baseline and there just was everyone ran over to his side and there wasn't any spacing he turned it over Dwayne Casey took him out of the game and then he went to Pascal Siakam at center CJ Miles at the four then Love just and Miles was going to guard Love they still have all the shooting on the floor you can't double team Love just starts killing Miles who hey big surprise CJ Miles can't guard someone in the post like we knew that going back to last year with the Pacers and it just the lineup made no sense to have your tallest guy on the floor guarding LeBron you're never going to get any help at all uh and then of course lebron once they got the 10 point lead he just started like exploring his powers out there in the court and just enjoying himself and intentionally taking the most difficult fadeaway jumper he could find and just scoring all of them anyway and those certainly were the cherry on top of this game but it had already pretty much been settled by that point and even if lebron hadn't explored the studio space in the way that he did this game was, was functionally over they could have settled down and just gotten that same kind of offense and it has to be demoralizing for the raptors 
in that way. But if if they settled and just said, this is our best path, it might not be perfect. You know, the, their odds of winning any game, especially now that they go back to Cleveland down, down 0-2, their path to winning games is going to be tough against Cleveland because Cleveland can score so well. But okay, put the best guy you can on LeBron James, figure out the help, do something that I thought Indiana was A, fairly successful with, but B, also somewhat fortunate with is let everybody else beat you if they're going to do it. You know, Jeff Green has been better in this series so far than he was in the Indiana series. A couple other guys too. But you have to put your best foot forward because LeBron James is so good. You and I both picked him as the best player in the NBA, even at a point before this kind of late kick that he had when he was when he was better because of this potential. And he is the design imperative, but that doesn't mean he is the only thing you have to worry about. That's why Cleveland is such a dynamic offensive team. If you want to go smaller, put OG at the four and Siakam at the five and have those because Siakam, he seems like he can guard LeBron. He cannot, in fact, guard LeBron. He's not strong enough, not quite intense enough. I, I don't think, you know, he's, he can't get into LeBron. And yeah, you could say, hey, the way LeBron was shooting, it wouldn't have mattered. But when OG came back in, he actually, you know, forced an air ball the first time James tried to go to that fadeaway on him. You know, like he does make a, a huge difference and just taking him out of the game, you know, to me, he should be playing 42 minutes a game in the series uh as much as he can handle until he gets into foul trouble um you know the raptors offensively were plenty good i mean lowry 7 to 10 21 points uh derozan eh, it could have been better 24 points 11 out of 23 only two free throw attempts uh, it was uh, tristan thompson had a, the joke that anyone who bites on a derozan pump fake has to pay a hundred dollars in fines and so he's trying to save for his kids college uh and so he didn't go for it he could, he stayed down another derozan pump fake today uh valentunas 16 points 8 of 11 you know pretty good uh, offensive performance van vliet was able to be pretty solid with 14 points four seven from three but it still wasn't good enough and just in that one critical stretch early in the third lowry and derozan weren't able to score and it looked ugly but i mean it really like Dwayne casey and they probably would have lost anyway they were down six at the at the point he made those moves but like he really panicked he just straight up panicked in putting a lineup out there that just had no chance of scoring toronto and i, I don't care if you put toronto's five best offensive players on the floor they're not going to just outscore cleveland like that can't be the way that they win the series they have to slow them down just a little bit and for cleveland yeah it's tough when jeff green goes four out of six on threes when jr smith is hitting some pretty tough shots and, and when love is shooting the way that he was although a lot of his damage was in the post he's only two out of six on three a lot of it was just the gravity that he had um yeah it, it's just totally so, something i want to bring up about about that third quarter i think this is is important cleveland took 22 shots in that third quarter 17 of those 22 shots were at the rim or from three yeah so they're they were getting the mori ball shots they were they were getting what they wanted toronto had a more balanced profile and cleveland also didn't get to the line in that quarter partially because toronto wasn't close enough to foul on a lot of those possessions sort of paralleling cleveland's low foul defense at moments and again the idea of trying to outscore cleveland because the Cavs can get shots where they want them and they can get often put it in the hands of their best players and so that wasn't the LeBron mid-range palooza that was more in the fourth quarter Cleveland got exactly what they wanted in Toronto you know their shot chart wasn't too bad they had four mid-rangers and only five in the restricted area but they were generally hitting and the big difference though in that another big difference in that third quarter Toronto had four turnovers which is more than Cleveland had in the entire game yeah I mean not forcing the turnovers is just a, another thing and for LeBron to have only one turnover with the, the game that he had the completely insane game that he had it was unbelievable and I, I usually think that one of the biggest indicators of how well James is being defended isn't even necessarily how he's shooting but if you can force him into turnovers are you 
pressuring him up enough making his life difficult enough but he's just he's just vivisecting this team it's really just remarkable what he's done to them in this game and for the Cavs I thought George Hill played a really nice game he's plus 20 at 13 points he actually in the first half they really didn't have to go to LeBron that much you know he was getting he drove in a few times but a lot of it was just him operating at the elbow finding guys George Hill Kevin Love pick and roll screen for Love out of the corner get him going to the rim which Toronto just had no answers for and that's a difficult play you know they're bringing a small guy over there they got Lowry switched on to Love a couple of times but really Love's ability to hurt that mismatch really kind of changed everything and I get a lot of predictions wrong on this show but one of the ones that I had was that the Cavaliers offense the way they looked against Indiana there's no way they could continue to be that bad and Toronto by any account a superior defensive team to Indiana in the regular season I still don't have a great answer for why it was maybe it was just Love's struggles it, it was the biggest thing for why Cleveland couldn't score on Indiana but the idea that the Cavs who were the number one offense in the NBA after they made those trades were going to continue to struggle the way they had I, I always thought didn't make any sense we agreed on that point and the Raptors certainly have adjustments and we, we talked at length about how they should balance OG and Anobi and Pascal Siakam I think they can do a much better job there maybe balancing this the big man rotation a little bit more I just think playing traditional bigs as much as they are especially because Valanchunas isn't a great rim protector he can deter certain shots but that's he's not intimidating the Cavs out of many things so go in a little bit of a different direction there especially if he's not beasting Kevin Love as much a couple different avenues there also that would open up more minutes for a Bach at the five which I think is a better solution but the Raptors I don't have this like catch-all fix or anything like that there are things they could part of the reason why I picked Cleveland in the series was I just didn't know if Cleveland was on I didn't know how Toronto could stop them and I still don't know that yeah I mean we're seeing once again here I think even to some extent we're seeing it in the Philly Boston series as well of just what the difference is between regular season and postseason basketball not even in terms of intensity which certainly that's a factor for teams like the Warriors Golden State but also just of what kind of works in the regular season and and that's why the Jazz performance has been so impressive Uh, although they they played against really more of a regular season kind of team in the first round but and we'll see how they end up doing against Houston I can't wait for that game that game now or that series that now takes on by far the most intrigue to me going forward here but I mean is there any chance for Toronto at this point are they completely done if they don't let LeBron back in the U.S. I guess that's one one way it could happen some drugs on his body or something something like that that's their only I assume he's already in by the time we record this yeah I mean because not only is Toronto down 2-0 they're down 2-0 going back to Cleveland where they haven't done particularly well and all the momentum is on Cleveland's side Cleveland has played better you know there was that question about game one of oh is did Toronto Toronto lose that game to Cleveland win it all that kind of stuff well we sure as hell know who played better in game two and so for me now this is more a matter of when not if and that is not to say oh it's a zero percent chance but it is it's like I was looking at it and chuckling a little bit 538 partially because it values what the Raptors did in the regular season when the Raptors were the best team in the Eastern Conference I will be unambiguous about that it puts their chances at 20 percent and I'm just kind of chuckling to myself going oh it's a whole hell of a lot less than that I would say it's probably five to ten percent if that and that might just be me being charitable just because the chance of injury or something like that I actually expect game three to be close if you go back and look at history the last two times that Cleveland won the first two games on the road 2015 against the Hawks this series feels very similar to that by the way this great regular season team more than the sum of their parts etc etc uh and the Cavaliers winning one close 
close one and then really one blowout uh Atlanta got injured but I think it's been overstated a little bit how injured they were like they're already going to lose game one Carroll got injured he came back wasn't himself but Damari Carroll wasn't going to guard LeBron I think that that became very clear quickly and then Corver suffered that uh that season-ending broken ankle from Delhi in a play I'm sure everyone remembers but that game three actually went into overtime I want to say uh and then same thing Boston actually won game three back in Cleveland last year in this similar situation where Cleveland won the first two on the road so I actually expect it to Cleveland to relent a little bit that's just kind of their mo if it's close down the end LeBron's likely to win it you would think um so this will be a close game I expect Cleveland to win it but I I don't think it's gonna be a total blowout in game three one other thing I wanted to mention I thought overall Fred Van Vliet looked pretty good in this game I mean he had to deal with the the hits that come from missing two shots that could have won game one but physically I thought he looked better you know did I didn't notice the shoulder affecting him as much played 24 minutes you know it was solid out there and I you know I still think the Raptors missed him in that series against the Wizards that probably to me would have been a five game series if he had played but you know his presence along with so many of these other guys who had wonderful wonderful seasons it's just not enough against Cleveland yeah I I don't really have a ton much more to add at at this point I mean obviously massive disappointment for the Raptors but unless you're the bad boy Pistons or the 2004 Pistons there's a ceiling when you don't have a top 20 player in the NBA and I believe that the Raptors do not have a top 20 player in the NBA on their roster they don't have someone who could go toe-to-toe with with LeBron uh, and and maybe maybe the hope is that like I know Ibaka has been so bad but I, I think that Toronto really has to just think about this intellectually because Casey clearly in a lot of his lineup decisions is just very driven by recency bias who's playing better in that game and I think you really just have to look at it intellectually and say hey you know what maybe these guys aren't playing that well right now but who actually gives us a chance and maybe that's Serge Ibaka playing more center that's Ananobi playing all the time maybe it's Ananobi and Siakam together at the three and four with Ibaka at the five and Lowry and DeRozan and just say hey we've at least got something here that's going to allow us to to have more switchability and flexibility in our lineup on defense because what they've done is just not going to work Valanchunas if Love isn't going to play terribly you don't really have the option so let's take away give it a lot fewer options for Kevin Love to be able to post up you know I think Ibaka and Anobi and Siakam all those guys could be okay on Love in the post you know we'll take that away we want to make LeBron work harder he didn't have to work hard at all on the way to his 43 points tonight so i think you just have to go there and then hope that lowry and derozan can carry you home offensively but i mean they got to find a way to make this more of a defensive game you know maybe that's more pertle than valentinus i actually thought pertle was not bad in this game uh you know he's going to make some mistakes certainly he's very exuberant he'll get into foul trouble i know bob vulgaris was killing him i didn't think he was that bad i don't think in general that he's that bad he's at least got some mobility he can protect the rim reasonably well again bob was saying he can't protect the rim i I don't necessarily agree with that he got scored out a couple times at the room but i thought he had decent contest um so th- that would be my advice to, to toronto they got to figure out something on that play where they screen love out of the corner to the block uh with the small you that's pretty tough to deal with uh whether that's you just bring help from the weak side or you know and, and i think you also the the other thing i would say is you can't overreact to this game really okay kevin love shooting it's just kevin love in the post yeah he's done that his entire career i think we understand that jeff green four six from three all right we're just gonna have to let you bomb away and and if you make it, you make it. Like that's we'll live with that. You know, if Jordan Clarkson is in, or uh, you know, they're not playing Thompson as much, so they're not playing Nance, so it's it's tougher to find someone to help off of. But and then don't say, hey, you know, what, LeBron because they started just straight up doubling LeBron James anytime he got the ball like thirty feet from the rim, and like eventually you just have to live with those shots. Like it looks bad. People will probably complain, oh, how could you not double LeBron? 
LeBron it's like well because he has four amazing shooters around him and those guys shooting wide open threes is still a higher expected value I know he's hot uh, I know he's toying with you it was an unbelievable shooting game but you have to trust that he's not going to do that again and if he does he does but that's I'm going down on LeBron fadeaway mid-rangers over wide open threes from the other guys uh who are good shooters or Kevin Love in the post against a guy who's 6-1 or something or CJ Miles who's functionally not that different that's right okay we'll get to Boston and Philly momentarily first though this from our friends at stamps.com a service that you Danny have used probably even more than I have in the last year or so I would think so I mean it the challenge of writing a book is also one of the things because it is available of course in in other formats but especially people who know you want the physical copy because then they can put it in their bookshelf and all that of hey i know somebody who wrote a book and i've been an online based writer my entire career so this wasn't really something i ever dealt with and so i had to do a lot of moving physical copies from place a to b and because of the way it works with the publisher they send everything to you and then you have to disseminate it from there and so so stamps.com ended up being the perfect way to do that because you can run everything, including printing the labels, arranging pickups, scheduling pickups, which is really fantastic, from the comfort of your own home, and you can do it at a rate that's even better than the post office. Yes, yeah, stamps.com, they make it incredibly easy. They'll send you a digital scale, which automatically calculates exact postage. They'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. There's no long-term commitments. You don't have to lease a postage meter. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer, including a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale go to stamps.com you click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in that familiar code cap space uh, we've been talking about as we're getting into our off-season preview stuff now so that's stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. type that cap space code in and let them know that you came from us are you more surprised that the Cavs beat the raptors or that the celtics beat philly are we given any of the context of the game no, or just, no, just at the just, start just before it happened, happened who wins the game i'm more surprised by the celtics winning because my theory on this series at the beginning was the Sixers are going to screw up game one. They're going to make all these, they're going to, you know, a couple little turnovers, then they'll make adjustments. They'll figure some things out and then it'll be a fight from there. Like, you know, I thought it'd be a close game, maybe competitive. And I thought the odds were that if a blowout went one direction or the other, that it would go in the Sixers favor. And I felt good about that, that feel early on, but I want to start this not by talking about how the Sixers screwed up. Trust me, we will <laughs> talk about that. But by praising boston i thought the way they executed the way they continued fighting the approach and the maintenance of that approach defensively was spectacular and there is a way to win games like this where i would argue that they have a meaningful talent disadvantage without Kyrie and without gordon hayward and they executed that to a t despite getting worked early in the game and i was blown away by that al horford to me was the best player on the floor tonight only had 13 points but but the job that he did as the primary defender on Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons had one point. He was 0 for 4 from the field with five turnovers and seven assists. Horford with 13, but he was plus 21. And the other thing that he did was draw Joel Embiid away from the basket. And he was, was able to drive by Embiid for the clinching bucket of the game with under 10 seconds remaining uh, up three, but also just opened up so much stuff at the rim, cuts, etc. Embiid just, he had to cover more ground in this game than he ever really has to cover 
in the regular season and Horford was only 0 for 2 on three-pointers but just the threat of him and uh when he went on his sister's podcast actually and she asked him like hey what what do you wish you would have known earlier in career and the number one thing he said was I wish I would have shot threes earlier in my career because you remember he used to be a great mid-range shooter but the way that his three-pointer his ability to work at at the elbows put the ball on the floor and, and you know we always get frustrated when teams don't close out to his right hand you know Embiid failed to do that on that last play but he's a very effective driver going to his right hand and uh he makes the right decision just having that level of smarts and passing mobility as a big is just so incredibly valuable and i hope that finally this playoff run will get al horford his due as a basketball player because he's just been fantastic he is the reason why the boston celtics are where they are right now up 2-0 in the second round when uh some of us picked them to lose to the milwaukee bucks and, and maybe by the way we're giving the bucks just a little bit too much shit considering how philly has struggled just the same with the Celtics. yeah i think there's there's a little bit of that i will echo all your sentiments on horford i think he's been fabulous so far in these two games and overall in the playoffs a lot of other celtics had good games i thought jason tatum did a nice job attacking when the circumstances presented themselves and so he ended up with 21 points 7 to 14 from the field including that nasty drive yeah. where he wrong-footed robert covington basically got covington moving a little bit to tatum's left and then just went right and went straight on till morning got right to the basket yeah. no and, one was and, there in time partially because joel Embiid was right. out there guarding al horford and so tatum doing a nice job of taking advantage of those circumstances marcus smart went completely insane from three early in this game i think he was four for he five made, he made his first at the four, beginning actually, ended up four I for ten and then he finished, yeah okay so he was four for four he had a heave at the end of the first half and then he was zero for five in the second half but because he made four four they right, needed those four, four. And, and four is kind of the inflection point of oh i guess we do have to guard this guy when you make four in a row and he i mean he's gonna keep shooting it he'll go on these jags he was just two for eight in game one from three uh but smart with 19 points that they weren't counting on 39 minutes uh his matchup with reddick who, who was great in this game offensively but wasn't able to get that much done late and, and bellinelli i mean his the effort that he had to put in sprinting around after those guys i mean he was the primary matchup on those dudes and they weren't switching too much uh, on those plays uh, that was pretty good although he did get beat a few times um yeah and tatum as you mentioned was able to attack the mismatches jalen brown came back he was considered doubtful probably should have not played frankly because the first play of the game basically that he was in there he gets just shot out of a cannon gets a loose ball goes down for a dunk and it looked like he tweaked the hamstring right then and then when he went up for a monster jam in transition he definitely heard it and then it was clear that he was compromised at that point he had like a really ugly turnover in transition where he, you could tell he didn't feel even remotely comfortable attacking and had to sit down so that's that's a worry for the celtics you know i i'm not sure that he should have been out there uh, because just hamstrings are those type of things where yeah you can gut it out but unless it's like healed and it's been healed for a few days you're always at a risk of re-injury and that that's what was going to happen to him so we'll see what his status is going to be going forward but it's not a hamstring if you're not a hundred percent you're just going to continue to like make it worse if you play on it i'm pretty damn sure he shouldn't have played and the reason why yeah, is but, but is they did the win, this game. They probably don't win this game without him you know that's that's a, a fair point like they that's they got fine that, but i i yeah. i i understand that and i think the celtics are playing for far more than this series overall because they do not have Kyrie Irving in these playoffs they do not have Gordon Hayward in these playoffs and the biggest so you think about the upside and the downside the upside certainly is there of you know not only point getting experience with Jalen Brown in these series potentially making it to a conference finals maybe even further than that where he's playing well that there is value that I am not discounting that it is it is important to mention but Jalen Brown needs this summer to get to to 
work on those building block skills and potentially risking that for such a limited benefit when the Celtics have a bright future. This is not like a one-shot situation where, oh, we have to make the most out of this because we're never going to get back there again. The Celtics have to be looking at the long game here, more so than arguably any other team in the league, and that includes the Sixers, just because of the specific circumstances related to their health. And Brown needs this offseason to get better. You hear this a lot about the God, the difference between like kind of a lost year and that it can be health. I think about somebody like Yusuf Nurkic with an issue like this as well. And as a perimeter player, I think there's more that Jalen Brown can do. So I am pretty vehemently in the ground that in, unless he is a hundred percent or functionally close to it with a hamstring specifically, he should not be in the game. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, it's, it definitely, especially when it was clear that he wasn't moving around at a hundred percent, you know, you, there's almost no chance that when you're in that situation, especially with the hamstring, especially an athletic player like him, that you're going to make it through the game without making it worse. And uh, again, we'll see kind of where he's at. But once you start injuring it and injuring it and injuring it, you know, that's something that can kind of, you know, JJ Redick is someone like that, right? He's got lower back tightness. He's always dealing with hamstring issues. Like you don't want that to be like a nagging thing. And Jalen Brown's career has been relatively injury free so far. Let's talk about this from the Sixers standpoint, though. Um, oh, yeah. I think we can. Yeah. Can, well, can I can I frame yeah, this please. a little bit? So a way that a, a phrase that I might overuse, but I, 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 I think it's good to talk about it in this way is the idea of sustainability and Philly in general but especially in this game I mean if you go back and watch the shots they took in this in this first half yeah they were making a ton of them but it was not sustainable offense it was these completely ridiculous you know really ambitious threes by Robert Covington Reddick making incredible plays and yes you can make an argument that Reddick shoots a higher proportion on those than a lot of other guys do and Embiid was taking bad shots and it's so easy for a team especially when they're not filled with just preternatural offensive talent to lose the thread when that's how they're succeeding and their defense was good and also they were getting a lot of, of, of offensive rebounds and certainly that can sustain and so I think they kind of took the wrong lessons from the first half and then that opened the door and then the Celtics just tore right through it and and, er, and earned it but Philly they 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 weren't doing a lot of the the right things offensively they were just succeeding in spite of them yeah they had I think they got a few more late but they had eight offensive rebounds in the first quarter like 43 percent offensive rebounds in the first quarter ended up with only 16 and the celtics just killed them in transition they had 19 fast break points which isn't a lot but you know philly is the fast breaking team but boston at halftime had was averaging 2.14 shot or points per possession in transition so more than a two-pointer and they didn't get out and run a ton but philly really just i i thought in the late in the second quarter they hung their head they weren't getting back Joel Embiid they were going the offensive rebounds that they had gotten early were bouncing over their heads to long rebounds and they weren't getting back they're hitting I think they're emboldened a little bit too much crashing the offensive glass they are by today's standards a good rebounding team but this is team variant they shoot a ton of threes they shoot a ton of bad threes sometimes they're not going to go in they hit the offensive glass real hard well if it bounces over your head now you're giving up a fast break uh Ben Simmons throws a lot of high-risk passes but that can turn into turnovers they're one of the highest turnover teams in the nba so again this is a team joel Embiid. sometimes he makes his threes sometimes it just looks really ugly he can turn the ball over a lot as well uh joel in the post sometimes it works really well tonight not really you know he was eight out of 22 uh only 20 points on 25 shooting possessions that's really bad for him so uh, robert covington just jacks up threes immediately with guys like unless there's just right in your grill he's gonna shoot it and he was four out of seven tonight but you know took a couple of bad ones as well bellinelli takes a lot of bad shots Sharich even 
Anderson takes a lot of bad threes. And I know they don't like the mid-rangers, but I do think that there comes a point where just not having any kind of pick and roll game to work with, just they don't have that to settle them down offensively to try to break a run to, to have any kind of a staple. It's, all right, we're going to run JJ Redick off a bunch of screens, but if Marcus Smart denies him, now you just used up half the shot clock and there's nothing there. You know, I, I thought the only thing that they could go to that was really a staple was Ben Simmons getting a screen from JJ Redick at, at the free throw line who would then pop out. You know, I don't think the Celtics ever quite solved that one. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Simmons' game here? Yeah, let's do it. And so Simmons, you mentioned in the in the lead-in that he only had one point. He also seven assists, five turnovers. That's that's a big problem. And and only four shots. There was a, a good threat the on this. Four shots is probably the worst. Yeah. And only two free throws. And two free and five two free throws. Possession. And so and so Simmons in this series, and it, it's so different from the rest of the regular season because the shooting limitation has been there the whole time. This is not Markel Fultz who lost you know lost the smile or something like that. This is a very different circumstance. And Simmons generally in this series, partially because I think the Celtics have done a beautiful job of it, they the Sixers have not particularly handled the space that they're giving Simmons well. And I think some of that is personnel based just because of the spacing issues that that Philly has, the where the help is coming from. But part of the reason why the Simmons Reddick stuff works, and there was a good thread on this. I, I retweeted it. I, I don't know the person's handle. I think it's somebody who writes for Nylon. And what they were getting at is this parallel. The parallel that they drew was to LeBron and that you you need to use the space that they're giving Simmons, especially Al Horford, who is his primary defender, as a different kind of an advantage because Simmons isn't able to drive it as much against Horford in particular, but Horford and Baines when they're playing together, as he could in matchups in the regular season. And so one of the ways of doing that is by pitches, by using him, by using that by using that space to use then Simmons to get somebody else open. But one of the problems there is that you mentioned how they don't have much of a pick and roll game is that they don't really have many foils for that. They have Simmons, but that they don't have the other guy in that combination. Yeah, I mean, they almost never run a Simmons and Bede pick and roll. And against this particular team, I think Horford actually, you know, you can probably switch that uh, if Horford is playing at center. They have a bunch of other guys who can guard Simmons. And a quote by Brett Brown after the game was they have a lot of apples to go apples to apples and i thought that was a, an interesting way of putting it and that's true with the celtics they got Braun, they got tatum they've got ojale although he only played two minutes they got marcus morris you know all those guys are not going to just get trucked by ben simmons and ben simmons is not anyway the kind of force in the post physically that lebron is yet or even driving to the rim and i thought simmons finishing in this game which was something that we worried about coming in and it looked much better in the regular season but he still is not comfortable finishing really with his left hand he had one player where he went could have just gone to an he was in the post could have just gone to an easy left-handed jump hook instead brought it into his right hand just got blocked out of bounds we ben tweeted that out for us uh, from my account at nate duncan nba for some reason you're not following me and actually I, the reason would probably be that i tweet too much during game but uh if you're not bothered by that you could go check it out and so this, this certainly is a, a game that encapsulated a lot of the issues with potentially with simmons against the best defenses and, and this is an awesome awesome Celtics defense I don't want to lose track of that for a moment but this is supposed to be an awesome Sixers defense too and uh, they have 
not been that so far uh, i will say this though anyone who is complaining that simmons who is negative 23 should have been sat for tj mcconnell who is plus 16 and, and just have to be four or four from the field uh I, I think that's pretty much insane that's like just falling into the same usual coach recency bias trap and, and you know when things were going well with mcconnell they had simmons on the bench but number one all right don't piss off ben simmons number two ben simmons is a thousand times better player than tj mcconnell unless there's some evidence that he was injured or sick or something and simmons didn't do much you know maybe mcconnell would have somehow been better than him down the end i don't think so because i didn't think mcconnell particularly was like doing anything other you know he happened to score eight points but that wasn't like world breaking like that he was doing something awesome that was helping them make these runs uh it had him playing at the time when al horford was out of the game probably really helped him <laughs> does does mcconnell get to play against shane Larkin yeah. in crunch time is yeah. that the way it yeah. works that if you play your backup point guard the other team gets to have their backup point guard in yeah exactly you couldn't put it better there so ben simmons is a million times better he's the franchise player you play him in crunch time it's just a no-brainer and it's not like you know tj mcconnell is was doing having some unbelievable game out there to where you could expect that to carry over to the end of the game we're gonna sit ben simmons that that wouldn't have made much sense to me um i thought yeah go ahead well so i want to mention one other thing that and this might end up being a final series take depending on where this goes and i do not think this series is no, over partially because the sixers are going back home i think philly can you know they can definitely win games there and i think they can yeah. win in boston they very well could have won this game and boston it will be bad. hard it will be Boston's very very hard on the road in playoff yeah that's that's true as well and so the sixers this could end up being in line with two different ideas that are so common among young teams in the playoffs so one is just that young teams end up underperforming relative to their talent level like they just something they run up against some sort of obstacle they can't get through there are lots of these examples in the past of a team just just getting the wrong place the wrong time and getting knocked out but the second part is i hope this leads to their entire team top to bottom doing some soul searching and realizing and this includes the coaching staff it's players coaching staff saying we have the capability of being much better in terms of elements like shot selection and execution than they have been so far and if the sixers can walk away from these playoffs with that idea of okay this is what it takes and certainly theoretically a series against cleveland could do that too but if they can walk away from it in two rounds it's kind of like how i talked about you know what boston would get from jalen brown and jason tatum if they actually take those lessons internalize them and bring that next april they will be so much better for it because they cannot succeed against the best competition playing the way that they did from the like the five minute mark in the second quarter on because good teams will beat that consistently the most surprising thing in this series continues to be i think the celtics offense against the sixers defense and in this game 117 offensive rating for boston that would have led the nba sixers actually scored well enough in this game it was slow pace 93 and 92 possessions which is not to the sixers benefit but they still scored just fine both teams shot it well from three boston 15 out of 36 so that makes them now shooting like about 45 percent from three in the series on a pretty good number of attempts and that's something smart you know rosier maybe he shot it well so maybe he won't cool off uh but i think they the sixers have got to find a way to make joel Embiid more impactful i think that uh whether it's the orbital whether it's just overall the fact that he has not been able to practice that much due to his various restrictions and injuries like he's got to get into better shape uh he played 37 minutes in this one uh, i thought he really was lagging getting back in transition defense when they were getting killed uh and chasing al horford all over the floor and so maybe they just have to deal with al horford shooting some threes 
penalties or you have to come up with a way to stunt onto Horford and have him be just lay back a little bit more and you trust guys to get over those DHOs a little bit and run into Embiid uh because like he is not having the impact at the rim and this is a Boston team that historically has been extremely successful against these type of rim protecting centers if you go back and look for example at the Utah Jazz record against the Celtics since Gobert came into his own as a defensive player Boston has always caused probably caused Rudy Gobert more problems than anybody in the league maybe except with the exception of Golden State so Al Horford is a big part of that but maybe you just have to say all right Al Horford we want you to shoot more threes if you want to stand out there you're not as involved in the offense in the DHO game and you know we'll try and stunt to you but we're going to live with that because they're giving up everything right now they're giving up threes they're giving up a ton of shots at the rim meanwhile for Philly they can't hit a shot uh in floater range Simmons and Embiid are both kind of reliant on those shots and those have not been there for them uh certainly in this game as well so I don't know any other adjustments that come to mind for you Danny I want to give a couple of data points and I think this will reflect that these are all from cleaning the glass one in the first half Boston scored 0.674 points per possession in half court offense they ended up you know close in that after that just gargantuan run mostly through transition and actually they upped that the Sixers led by 21 points in the first half 48 to to 27 they did it looked like this was going to be a blow but I did caution at the time that Boston never seems to get blown out right I mean I could think of one time all year where they just never got back to make it at least somewhat interesting and and Philly and Philly very rarely holds a lead of that (laughs) size too I mean Philly I think Philly blew two 15 point leads to Boston in their four games of the season I remember watching at least two of those the London game was one I think there was another one at the garden where that happened so that's one I wanted to mention is that Philly they did they did succeed in that some of it was Boston missing some shots but and and Boston eventually got that all the way up to a .927 which was actually almost exactly the same as what Philly did so that's one thing I want to mention second Philadelphia only got into a transition play 43 percent of the time after a steal in this game they have to be ready to yeah. to turn tail and a lot of that credit goes to Boston just getting their asses Simmons back Simmons is not pushing but, the ball the way I thought he even did in the Miami I mean he's kind of jogging it up he is not like pushing yeah, they, it down their throats they need to p- do it at a breakneck pace and if that means playing Ben Simmons fewer minutes he only played 31 in this game partially because they they were relying on TJ McConnell but they have to be ready to do that also and this is maybe the uh, along with the other the one that you you talked about before with Boston's effectiveness in transition Philly off of off of defensive rebounds first of all they only ran on 21% of those times which is way too low again they should be pushing it harder in those circumstances it's their best chance of getting offense most of the time because Boston's half court defense is good second they scored 0.429 points per transition play off of off a live rebound that is just it's unsustainably bad there were some turnovers some missed shots there but it's just it just shows you how extreme this can go sometimes for the Sixers to just basically not score running off of rebounds couple actually maybe just one other note here on this one the new Danny Green Robert Covington missed a, a bunch of layups uh he also blocked a bunch of shots that they're not quite as good at transition defense as Danny Green is but I was disappointed with Covington's individual defense just in isolation in this game and the Celtics put stress on you though you got to close out they space the floor they want to open things up for straight line drives and Covington got beat on quite a few of those there's the one you mentioned where Tatum just blew by him for a dunk I think Horford drove by him very easily one time of course to, to his right hand uh, there I think Marcus Morris blew by him once actually that's what I was thinking of it wasn't Horford it was, it was Marcus yeah Morris, Morris got him where you know Marcus Morris is not the fastest guy Covington is supposed to be able to stay in front of him. Covington is a fantastic help 
help defender uh, certainly you know his digging down is some of the best in the league as guys drive by but he did not play that well in individual defense it gave up, up several blow buys uh, many of them to guys who you know are not the toughest covers in the world in terms of straight line drives Let's see if i had anything else here oh yes i can't believe we forgot to mention this so boston making a little bit of a run they've cut a 21 point lead to 11 but two minutes left in the half philly's still relatively in control brett brown certainly thought they were in control because he took covington out of the game with two fouls presumably now covington had already played 19 minutes and a half he ended the game with 40 but i guess he just assumed that you know they'd be able to hold on with two minutes left in the half and that covington with two fouls he just didn't want him to pick up his third covington can't pick up fouls every once in a while but the problem was boston goes immediately on a 10-2 run and they really got back into contact it was a five-point game at the half uh actually no yeah i can't remember if it was five or, or three but whatever it was basically close enough that it might as well have been tied psychologically at that point and i just like bellinelli who we put in the combination of bellinelli and reddick is just he doesn't have a lot of options there but you know that's just too small overall to deal with them and so bellinelli immediately horford gets a, a rebound over him throws it back out rosier bangs a three and then they just i don't know how much of it was bellinelli being in there at the end a lot of it was transition covington's actually a pretty good transition defender but i just didn't think that that was the right move there to so oh he's got two fouls we'll take him out now and, and that ended up really hurting them to me and i think covington can do a pretty solid job of defending without fouling he still does does reach a little bit too much and things like that but i i think they can trust him more than 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 brown did in this game i also thought that philly marcus smart was running a lot of pick and roll and i don't think smart hit a single layup in this game i think he missed one that was a pretty easy finish they are just giving him way too much respect as the ball handler in pick and roll uh especially in bead where if you've got al horford to deal with or you've got baines to deal with who also spaced out and bead pretty well in this game and so just being worried about marcus smart and then like letting him he wants to pass you know he does not want to go and finish the rim you make him finish at the rim two or three times in pick and roll before you start really adjusting to him i think um all right i think that's all we got on that uh we talked a little bit about this yesterday david fisdale officially now will be hired by the new york knicks as their next head coach he had been reported yesterday that he was getting traction in that search uh and he will indeed be hired we mentioned yesterday that he seemed like the second most in-demand guy in the market the knicks were the second best job he was hired anything else you wanted to add on him though i don't have a ton to say necessarily uh on this hire as of now certainly popular among a vast majority of the the players that he's dealt with including as an assistant in miami maybe lebron and wade swear by him and the most important data point we have on fisdale as a kind of coach slash tactician is that he encouraged marcus ol to shoot more threes which i think has been a very successful wrinkle for yeah, marcus sure Mark agree with and that. that bodes really well <laughs> Hey, Mark's opinion doesn't matter yeah. much anymore. But the that bodes well for Kristaps Porzingis. I, I think that you know we don't know exactly if Porzingis is going to be a center or a power forward when he comes back from this torn ACL. But I, I'm certainly excited about that part of this. He is going to face a challenging job. I mean, New York has to figure out what their guard rotation is going to be, what their identity is offensively. They're going to have a draft pick to use, probably not much in the way of cap space this year. So I hope that they give Fisdale, as I do basically every coach they get enough time to really put his imprint on this team and hope that he gets the chance to succeed and fail but i think it's a good hire and i'm encouraged by that at the bare minimum for the knicks interestingly it was reported by mark spears that fizzdale turned down the phoenix suns job uh, before igor kakashkov was given that opportunity now i'm guessing the knicks were willing to pay a little bit more i'm also guessing that fizzdale had a pretty damn good idea he was going to be the front runner for the knicks reportedly he was the first one that they reached out to in the process and also
also it is very rare that you'll hear me say something positive about james dolan but he actually deserves some credit for the number of minority hires that he's had i mean going back to isaiah thomas as both an executive and a coach mike woodson as a coach that was on an interim basis but they they had him stick around now david fisdale their top two guys in the front office are african-american steve mills and scott perry and so as many things that as james dolan has screwed up certainly if you're someone who believes that minority hiring is important you have to believe in james dolan at least in that respect one other small note it seems to me like this was david blatt's best chance of jumping into the nba at the very minimum this year because of his relationship with steve mills so maybe it'll be a little bit longer before he makes his way back should that happen at all oh we should also mention the abrinus news quickly alex abrinus had a underwent surgery for a sports hernia and he'll he'll be back you know in plenty of time the estimated recovery is six weeks yeah and that does actually perhaps throw a new light on what was a difficult second year season for him he did not show some of the growth that i think they're hoping for so maybe there's a some reason to believe that he can be better next season he had a few moments particularly in that game five against the jazz but overall a disappointing year for him and if he was playing with a sports hernia all year that might be an indication of why he struggled as much as he did all right we got to get into our free agent point guards but first this from ftd this mother's day ftd can help express your feelings for mom through a floral work of art that's the difference with ftd they actually have a local florist do the arrangement for you which is something that's important to me because i don't really know how flowers are supposed to be arranged and when they delivered it to us it was actually a person rang the doorbell and handed them to me already arranged no packaging really anything like that so that's really the nice thing about ftd i'm definitely very grateful to my mom this year i'm sure that you are as well and you can get 25 percent off a florist style bouquet for mom this mother's day at ftd.com slash mother's day different url here slash mother's day because it is of course mother's day coming up and you get 25 percent off these bouquets you have a lot of stuff that you can choose from as well to, to put your own touch on it that's ftd.com slash mother's day that's all one word the slash mother's day url ftd we can arrange that so a little reminder of how we talk about these free agents divide them into point guards wings and bigs although that's a little bit antiquated even from when we started doing this i think it was four years ago uh, but and then i break them into superstar star starter rotation and fringe and there is precisely one player in this year's point guard class that i consider to be a starter and we're talking about a starter going forward here you know it's not like okay this guy might start for us for a year on a one-year contract or something like that i'm talking about a guy who really is going to deserve a big contractual commitment at average starter money you know talking about 15 million dollars a year or more you know for three years four years so that's the type of player i think of as a starter and there's one guy who's a starter above and that player i still consider him a superstar that's chris paul who will be 33 this offseason he turns uh 33 in may yeah he turns 33 on saturday i believe and paul has been fabulous this year i do think that he's taken a step back i had him fifth i believe in the best player rankings last year i think i had him like eighth or ninth yeah. this year and paul i think a lot of people justifiably think that it's kind of a, a, a done deal that he's going to stay in houston he took a big financial risk in terms of health or related to that to pick up his player option i'm trying to remember now if it was an option or an eto either way to stay on his contract and that facilitated the trade to the houston rockets theoretically just because of his connection with the banana boat crew i think that there is this outside outside shot that wherever lebron ends up that chris paul could end up there too i don't expect it but i want to acknowledge that possibility and this contract for chris paul will probably look really bad towards 
the end, even if he doesn't get full max or something like that, because the history other than John Stockton of smaller guards in their mid thirties is not a good one. But current Chris Paul is an awesome, awesome player and you pay for the present value and deal with the future when it comes. Yeah, a lot of more variables with Chris Paul than it seems like people are talking about. One, Houston had such a, a good regular season this year. It seems like, okay, for sure, they're going to get to the West Finals. The, but, you know, there's a lot of variables. They could win the championship. Some chance they could actually lose to the Utah Jazz here, which I don't anticipate will happen even with that loss the other day. But stranger things have happened. Maybe they just get swept 4-0 by the Warriors. Maybe they lose in seven of the Warriors. I mean, there's a lot of different things here. So I think just assuming that he's going to go back to Houston for sure, I'm not sure about that. And then you mentioned the financials as well. He now, because of the changes to change the over 36 rule to the over 38 rule, Chris Paul and LeBron James, very prominent in the union. Chris Paul is the union president. And so now he still may receive a five-year contract at age 33. Certainly had that in mind, no doubt, when he opted in. And he may end up getting more money as a result if he can get that five-year deal. And that will be a matter of some negotiation, to be sure, because Daryl Morey, you know that he knows that's going to be a bad contract by the end. Uh, They've already got James Harden on the books. And then if they want to add someone as well, you know, is Chris Paul willing to take less for a little bit? Maybe he signs a one plus one and then he signs another deal uh, after they're able to bring someone else in. You know, so many moving pieces. You know, they're able to move Ryan Anderson. There's a a ton of these here that are huge. I mean, could Chris Paul just go back to the Lakers with LeBron James? You know, that has not something that's been discussed at at all. It's something that maybe maybe that could happen. You know, he was almost a Laker once. I think you saying go. I think you saying go back to the Lakers is a trigger warning for for Lakers fans (laughs) considering everything that happened. Go back to L.A. Yes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul. But but yeah, I mean, so I I do agree with you that it is a more complicated, nuanced situation. And also it could even just happen. We've seen this before where a player gets frustrated that a team is being a little bit more tight with the purse strings than they feel is warranted. And especially if the Rockets do well this year, Clint Capella is going to get a huge raise and we assume it's going to come from the Houston Rockets. So they have a a new billionaire owner, but maybe there is some sort of limit here because not only I was just writing about the Washington Wizards for uh, for the athletic and I was thinking about this concept for them too of this isn't just a commitment to presumably for this upcoming the 18-19 season for ownership it is a commitment for probably the next four to five years of being really really expensive and that can be daunting and the Rockets you know they had this pristine regular season about as well as it could go they could even have a similarly great playoffs we still don't know but saying okay you're going to be deep into the tax and eventually into the repeater tax is not necessarily something everyone wants to hear no it isn't and especially when as you mentioned there's no way this is going to be a good contract and to be clear paul he'd be eligible for that 35 percent max just based on experience doesn't have anything to do with the designated veteran a player he's just has 10 plus years of experience so he's eligible and that would mean that he could receive up to five years 205 million dollars he'd be making that 46 million in 2022-23 you know which will be his age 37 season will not be worth that money as of that time and you know the rockets could be in a long period especially if they don't win this year i think it you know if they don't win this year especially if they're not close to the warriors maybe it becomes harder to make that type of a commitment although by all accounts he has really enjoyed his time in houston let's talk about the rest of this though and here are the guys that i had as rotation and not even a ton of these right so we've got and you can put these guys in any order you want probably the best of these guys as of now is rajon rondo uh, at 32 um not a, a, a stop gap as a point guard you know he's played well in these playoffs i'm not sure especially in the regular season he hasn't been as good 
good defensively he's a big problem you know i don't think of him as a solution at point guard necessarily you know he's someone who can play if you're going to get in the playoffs but he adds a lot of issues in terms of needing to have the ball in his hands all the time so he he would be at the top of this group for me it also includes i mean this is an ugly group at this point you know seth curry if he's healthy at age 27 would be in this group to me isaiah thomas after this hip surgery who knows if he's even going to be healthy to start next season i mean i guess he would be in there as just kind of a spark plug guy off the bench at this point you don't see him as someone who's going to play a ton of minutes even if he is healthy and who knows how effective he'll be uh i'll finish out this group and then you can comment on it uh tony parker i think he'd be fine as a backup point guard for someone still at 36 he even made a little bit of noise about potentially playing elsewhere raymond felton 34 you know another i'm sure he'll be on a minimum contract somewhere else he gave adequate backup point guard play this year and then Derek rose uh, at 29 i still think uh in the right situation where he's trying to create offense he's never ever played still for a team that had much spacing uh i think he actually could be effective on the right team as a backup point guard where he's being asked to create a lot of shots it's kind of a a floor raiser but uh you know not an inspiring group uh and, and no one there that i think is even close to you know meriting big starter money other than of course paul this is unrestricted for you it's a real challenge and, and that's yeah. the unrestricted guys isaiah thomas my biggest question of this entire point guard class is what does isaiah thomas want does he want the opportunity on a make good contract to shine if he's healthy enough does he want to kind of get the most money he can because of the uncertainty with his hip maybe even kind of wait to see if anybody gets if anybody else gets injured what the opportunity is because i don't think anybody's gonna back up the brinks truck for him unfortunately it's terrible for isaiah the way this has worked out i mean just gets what i think was still a low offer from the phoenix suns that the kings even refused to match and then plays on that contract you know get get has that wonderful year in 16 17 but then never gets to turn that into anything because of everything that happened this year but he could go a lot of different directions i think somebody could give him backup money for a couple of years and if that he thinks that's enough to make it happen maybe rather kind of do that on a good team i have no idea what he wants the other one for me is seth curry i am a big believer in seth curry's talent i think that he fits better as a kind of a combo guard rather than a the term i always use is primary ball handler i don't think if he is the guy running your offense that it's going to necessarily kick into high gear but i would have loved the fit next to dennis smith this year that would have been really fun to see and i think we still might get to see that next year because dallas has early bird rights on curry and i don't know if dallas is even going to spend their cap space because they could save it for 2019 they could do a lot of different things with it but i don't think again like with isaiah thomas that after the year he had they'll have to look of course at seth curry's medicals that anybody is going to be just offering him an uncomfortable amount of money and so that could lead to him going back to dallas on a reasonable deal for multiple years or a one-year make good depending on how he is feeling about this process i want to react to something you said about, about thomas you know the idea that he could go somewhere where he has an opportunity well given his health situation i don't think that there's going to be a place where he's going to have a guaranteed opportunity because if you are a team that's even hoping to win at all you can't just rely on isaiah thomas all right we're going to have him as our starter or even maybe even as your primary backup uh, now if he's healthy in training camp maybe that's different if he's making a lot of progress from this hip surgery but the, by all accounts this hip surgery is kind of you know a, a four to six months type of thing and he had it what at the end of march early april uh so the idea that that'll be settled at the time he would be signing a contract seems unlikely to me uh there are also some non-guaranteed guys who in theory could be available shelvin mack who had a very difficult year in orlando had shown some hope as a capable backup in utah signed for six million in orlando but he's only i think one million guaranteed this next year i expect them to waive him for that so he should be on the market but looking probably more like a minimum guy patrick beverly at five million i imagine 
imagine that that will be something that the Clippers will hold on to or that there would be a trade market for him uh, at age 29 but coming off of that meniscus repair uh, but maybe if he's not making the progress or just the Clippers need some cap space or whatever but I, I imagine someone would want to trade for him even with uncertain health with only making five million and then Darren Collison 10 million but only one million or, the, or so of that guaranteed next season so I anticipate that the Pacers will hold on to him after the season that they had uh, but you never know what they might have uh, it up their free agent sleeve uh, as well so maybe they would in fact waive him I could see him maybe even getting claimed if he gets waived uh, although there are not that many teams that'll uh, add on like July 1st that would have that so actually uh, yeah it does seem unlikely that he would get claimed actually uh, at that point but you know maybe he could be a trade candidate as well you want to talk about the restricted guys here yeah let's let's do it and this is a group I would say overall that had their stock get hit by the the seasons that they had except there there are exceptions of course to that and we'll start with the most notable one for me Fred Van Vliet wonderful season he both bench player and then often game finisher for the Toronto Raptors this he'll be 24 and and Van Vliet not only is restricted but he's also arenas limited for those of you who are not familiar with that term what that means is an offer sheet from another team the first two seasons of it cannot be worth more than the middle level exception then after that it can jump up to any amount up to the maximum and the most famous example of this is Jeremy Lin I don't think Van Vliet's going to get that kind of an offer but he could get something mid-level mid-level jump if a team wants to get the Raptors to be uncomfortable with it and you know I, you could make a very good argument that outside of Chris Paul Fred Van Vliet is the best bet on this market yeah other than the fact that he's restricted and you may not in fact be able to get him but you know if the Raptors we'll talk about them more in their offseason preview but maybe if the Raptors you know get swept by this wounded Cavaliers team again they're less interested in keeping him around and potentially paying the luxury tax in Van Vliet somehow impossibly is a good defensive player I don't really see the team out there that's going to want to like make him a starter necessarily he's 24 already so I don't think he has that much upside necessarily left to explore still a couple of guys who actually there's really only one guy here who has starting experience in his career and that's Alfred Payton and maybe there's a team he has been on some bad teams in his career he Phoenix was awful when he was on the floor continuing a trend throughout his Orlando days I don't see any team being interested in him at more than the mid-level either Phoenix can give a qualifying offer bring him back but his cap hold is somewhat significant and so if Phoenix wants to get into the market as is the discussion that they might I don't think he showed enough they traded what like a second rounder for him maybe he could maybe be a guy who would sign the qualifying offer but if he does that his cap hold is 10 million dollars and so they might want to just use that space rather than have him so I think that'll but he's they'll probably hold on to him and his restricted rights I don't see him getting an offer sheet and then maybe if they feel like they can just do better with their money in in free agency they'll get somebody else and, and let him go uh Phoenix yeah like, like Kelly Olynyk is probably an easy yeah. example of that for yeah and Phoenix you know can get up to about 17 million or so in space this year we'll see which draft pick they actually end up getting but which will change that to some degree also Dante Exum another guy he's gonna have a huge cap hold with Utah about 14 million dollars Utah I mean we'll again see how their season ends up see how Exum season ends up he sure had a great game guarding James Harden the other day he has the ACL injury he's got that shoulder injury in his past what kind of a contract do you like let's say you're Utah and you want to bring him back and you want to reduce his cap hole but keep him around try to get him locked up right at the start of free agency what is what is your you know kind of the most you're willing to pay for him you know on say a three-year contract or or a two plus one or something my big concern 
concern with Exum is that I think Utah already has the guard cornerstone in Donovan Mitchell. And I don't think Dante Exum fits particularly well with Mitchell in the backcourt. And so in that context, Exum potential sky high. I still love how fast he is with the ball in his hands. Plenty of defensive potential. Did a nice job on a couple of possessions on Harden back more, more on Wednesday night. More than a couple possessions. I think on 22 possessions or something that Exum guarded him, Harden had like two points or something on, on those 22 possessions. Yeah, that's like true. Really I, I do. I am uncomfortable with a lot of those individual matchup sure. matchups. Sure, but I mean, but, I think that yeah, means he, he did it. He did a very good job. He, this guy sure. starts out guarding him on this possession, and here's how many points he scored. I think you can you can run something through that. Uh, you know, if he's just missing easy shots. Anyway, but, but, all right, sorry, I, I digress. Go ahead. Yeah, back to back to your point. And so, to me, then, if you're going more in that backup realm, I would be looking more at three years, like twenty to twenty four million, and I don't think that's enough for him to sign away his rights yeah on a two plus one i mean i think that would be smart for him especially with the injury history and you know he's only 22 uh so you can get back into the market then at 24 if you really blow up and i think if they believe in him as a third guard you know that's not crazy money to pay a third guard you know eight eight million a year you know especially one who's shown some of the defensive potential that he has and i'm not saying that he and mitchell in the backcourt couldn't work together um but that's uh i think that could be something a reasonable outcome for both sides where he's not going to languish in restricted free agency but you, you know he's got a little leverage on utah too because if they want to do something in free agency themselves especially if Derek favors leaves then getting that 15 million dollar cap hold down to 8 million and actually you know it'd probably be more like 7 million to start and you get the raises going up uh you know that could be valuable for them as well so he might have a, a little bit and utah if favors leaves and they get exum on that kind of a number they could still give out another pretty significant contract in free agency you might also see them move on from an alec burks or or uh maybe even ricky rubio this offseason if you know there's a big free agent that wants to come there i'm not sure necessarily who that would be yet uh but they probably will need more on the wing more power forward so far um run through a few other names here yeah oh, i want to mention yeah. one one more because i just it's my it's maybe my favorite contract oh, decision of this entire offseason milos Teodosic, because Teodosic, i hate that older older nba newcomers have to go through restricted free agency but he his incentives are so bonkers because he has a player option so if he declines that player option he is a restricted free agent with when with a pretty high qualifying offer so that's worth mentioning but if he picks up his player option it's only guaranteed for 2.1 million dollars and Tadosic, wonderful passing talent better defensively than we expect him to be but also dealt with a uh, plantar fasciitis this whole season and actually i believe he tore his plantar fascia towards the right. end of the season so a, a just a, a complicated decision a lot of information that needs to pass between Lawrence Frank and Tay Dosich before he makes his decision and the Clippers make their own decision well uh, we can talk a little bit more about his situation too I expect him to opt in though to that although the guarantee date for the rest of the money beyond the 2.1 million isn't until July 15th but you lock in that 2.1 million and then if they waive you you can still go somewhere else or I'm sure he would have plenty of money in Europe so to so just opt out of there I could also I mean if he opts out I could see maybe the Clippers not even making him a qualifying offer because his qualifying offer would have to be 125 percent of what he made this year so that would be seven million dollars and that'd be guaranteed he would just probably take that in a second uh so i i think if he opts out he probably would end up being unrestricted uh unless they really wanted to bring him back for that money maybe they do but they by making that qualifying offer he can accept at any time and you know they don't know exactly what the summer is going to bring for them yet they i think have a lot going to have a lot of balls in the air so that might be interesting uh you're right i mean the more i think about it it might make some sense but you know if you don't think you're going to have an 
NBA job somewhere else or you might just get your 2.1 million and then get waived and you're you could still be an unrestricted free agent anyway worst case scenario you opt in and they just keep you around and you get to make 6.3 million next year so I, I think I probably would opt in but there are some interesting balls in the air there um we're running out of time so we'll wrap up quickly TJ McConnell the Sixers have a team option on him I expect them to exercise that so I don't expect that he'll be on the market uh Ron Baker sadly has already exercised his player option and I need to take him off this list uh I had him under fringe but oh he's gonna make uh you know about four million dollars next year uh and a few others in the restricted market that are interesting we haven't even talked about Marcus Smart yet uh who I think of him as one of the best defensive guards in basketball maybe the best defensive guard in basketball when you consider that he can probably guard a lot of fours even on switches and certainly the vast majority of threes uh and then you know the ability to chase around someone like Redick the way he did today so certainly offensive limitations but you know I, I like him probably as much as I do Robertson defensively maybe Robertson is a little more size uh but obviously smart is nowhere near the negative on offense that Robertson is although he probably is still an overall negative but he's a solid player I think he's going to be one of the guys who really is going to be hurt by both restricted free agency and the tight market you could see him going back maybe to the Celtics for something in the range of you know nine ten million a year just so that they kind of don't lose him and have some salary flotsam to trade almost although I don't expect him to get that type of a deal elsewhere uh if he does take the qualifying offer that's bad for the Celtics because then they wouldn't be able to trade him without his consent so they couldn't use him as salary flotsam there uh any of these other guys you wanted to talk about Danny Shabazz Napier had a stronger than expected year with the Portland Trailblazers worked pretty well as their third guard playing yeah. alongside Dame playing alongside CJ McCollum so they might try to play hardball a little bit here Blazers have uh, just a, a crazy set with him and Nurkic of restricted free agents that's one I'm going to keep an eye on Yogi Ferrell again with the Mavericks I could see them just kind of playing hardball Ferrell absolutely fits the bill of somebody who could get lost in the shuffle a little bit in the market and Dallas has a, done a good job of cultivating point guards so I could see him you know maybe somebody else makes a decent offer and they just let him go and I, I think that's pretty much the main part of the yeah. list uh, how and a lot of other guys that guy will... who I think is a little bit underrated sure. as a restricted he actually played uh and wasn't bad I think he's an underrated defensive player um and, and I mean there's a lot of these guys on this list Napier Farrell even Neto to some degree uh that would be solid backup point guard options and teams might want them it's just you know how do you get them as a restricted free agent maybe it you know for Napier it, it's okay we'll give you a second rounder if we can get him in a sign and trade you know that that kind of thing maybe you know or Farrell so that'll be interesting to see and then uh a couple other guys Malcolm Delaney from the Hawks uh, hasn't done much he's 29 already uh and then Isaiah Taylor maybe a non-guarantee who has some experience with the Hawks but I, I imagine they'll probably keep him around um on that non-guaranteed deal uh okay that's it anything else we got to say before we go I will mention that my Bucks offseason preview went out for the Bucks athletic here. wanted to get wanted to get that one out early because I, I talked about one of the things that I'm using this year which carried over from my SI previews is the pressure scale and why I wanted to get this one out early is because I think a big part of why Milwaukee I gave them a 9.5 on the pressure scale is because of the coach because they really have one shot to get this right and I think you and I are probably going to do the offseason preview after they hire their coach because we can look at other things in that context so it's out for that reason I wrote the Washington Wizards one on Thursday I don't know if that's going to come out on Friday but that that might end up being the next one but yeah you can look for those basically any day at the athletic and then I will be recording Real Jam Radio on Friday morning you can hear after it is recorded who I recorded it with and that presumably will come out on Saturday because you and I have a busy
busy day tomorrow yes we do more twitter nba show coming we'll probably do the end of warriors pals if it's close and then definitely jazz rockets can't wait for that one and we'll talk to you all to you well i guess i'm a little tired been a lot of talking today we'll talk to y'all gotta get that two-lane education to use talk to y'all tomorrow night till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply